This is a relay project. The discourse starts right now with Cheryl Oates and Erica Baroudis. Welcome back to the discourse. We're going to jump right into it today. What is Daniel Smith thinking? Premier Smith has agreed to appear with Tucker Carlson, who's coming to Calgary in January. And before Erica jumps in to give us a little insight into why the Premier would do this, for anyone who doesn't know who Tucker Carlson is, he is a right-wing commentator who has openly pushed bigoted, racist commentary, supports the invasion of Ukraine, and was fired because he was too extreme for Fox News. Erica, too extreme for Fox News, but not too extreme for Daniel Smith. What is going on here? Well, I see that we're coming into episode uh, spicy and hot and geared up to go there, Cheryl. So, you know what? I had kind of all the feels. Um, I think we're going to play a clip first from question period to kind of uh, explain where the, the government and the opposition is coming from. So I will bite my tongue until then. But now on January 24th, the Premier will proudly sit down with Tucker Carlson, who's praised Vladimir Putin. He's insulted the president of Ukraine, and he's promoted the de debunked conspiracy theory that Ukraine was producing biological weapons. The Premier is lending the credibility of her office to this debunked conspiracy theorist. Why? Yeah. The Honourable the Premier. Mr. Speaker, I take every opportunity to tell the Alberta story. I speak with members from the media, I speak with podcasts, and I ensure that we are able to tell the world that Alberta is leading the entire world on reducing emissions as well as developing our energy. So I'm going to take those opportunities, unlike the member opposite who refuses to, who kicks people up from the press gallery out of her press conferences, and who refuses to talk to people across the spectrum. I think this is an opportunity opportunity for us to make sure people know the story. Erica, before you jump into this, I just have to say that Daniel Smith has this incredible gift for saying things no matter how outrageous, sometimes factually inaccurate with like the calmest, the coolest face and voice I have ever seen. It is an absolute gift for a politician. Well, I think she did a good job answering the question. Um, I couldn't stop looking at Racky. Uh, her facial expressions, as you say that Danielle Smith is calm, Racky was all the emotions. Um, when it came to me today, this week, uh, when that came out, I also had a journey of, of emotions. At first, um, when I, I saw it come out and kind of some of the immediate... Um, you know, opposition comments, immediate uh, uh, media uh, response to it. I like went back to where I was, um, a political staffer of like, what are the eight things that could go wrong here and getting super nervous and starting to play those through. Only eight? Yeah, yeah. I like even numbers and I didn't want to, 10 sounds too high. <laughs> so, so all the things, you know, as, as a political staffer, you're playing through all of those scenarios. And I started thinking about it. And then I actually started thinking about um, when I was in the Premier's office and she had just taken office and she wanted to do Jordan Peterson. Um, and, you know, same thing was like, well, how are we really going to play this? What is the benefit? And the answer then, which is the answer now, was like, these people have huge audiences. I don't support everything that they believe in. I am using this as a platform for Alberta and to drive our narrative to large audiences uh, internationally and then she you know went on the show had a really great dialogue 
um, actually challenged him on some of his thoughts and beliefs. And that's where her, her journalist background comes out and where she's able to use any uh, medium to, to drive the Alberta narrative. On its premise, I think that sounds reasonable. But for this show particularly, I just cannot imagine that the people tuning in to watch Tucker Carlson or to listen to Tucker Carlson are tuning in to have their minds changed. Daniel Smith says she's going to go on the show, talk about how climate policy and and uh, ind- industrial policy are inextricably linked. I just don't think you're going to change a lot of minds. And I don't think that this is necessarily the audience that, you know, thinking of all the things that a premier has in her inbox in terms of invites, this this cannot be priority number one. Like, I just can't believe that we're actually making progress for Alberta by Daniel Smith going on this show. But I, I don't think it has to be priority one. I think driving the Alberta message is a huge priority. There's obviously lots going on here. Um, but but whether it's number one, number two, number three, um, I don't think is relevant. I would say the biggest thing that we have to look at is, is she using this platform for a constructive way and a constructive opportunity to to drive the message he's coming here he's coming to alberta soil why not use the opportunity to to drive the narrative and so i'm now in a place where at first i was like oh lordy and now i'm in a place where i'm like oh i totally You're buying tickets I, I did buy a ticket thank you very much <laughs> great little call out there um i know now our texting threads uh, can be used online <laughs> but no honestly like i'm gonna go and i actually you know i don't agree with with a lot of things Tucker Carlson says, but I want to hear what he has to say and I want to see how the our premier reacts. Well, I will not be going, um, partly because I completely agree with what the NDP has said, which is that using the office of the premier completely legitimizes positions that are offensive, that are completely inaccurate in some cases, and in lots of cases, actually dangerous. And I don't think that it is ethical for the premier to legitimize those positions and this person's platform by attaching the office of the premier to it. And and in addition to that, I also think this is just not a good reflection on Alberta. Whatever progress Danielle Smith feels she's going to make in terms of convincing people that climate and uh, industry are inextricably linked, whatever progress she believes she's making is going to be countered by the fact that what people are going to see is the premier of a province sitting down with Tucker Carlson. And I think that reflects more poorly on Alberta's reputation than anything she could possibly say. Yeah, and I, I take two things from from everything this week. First off, um, I, I recognize that you're saying that she's the premier and using the premier's office. Uh, if Rachel Notley was elected, she used to turn media away. She wouldn't talk to people. I would rather have a premier that talks to everyone. Danielle Smith uh, acknowledged it. The premier acknowledged it in her comments in the House that was like, well, I wouldn't talk to CBC if I didn't agree, if I didn't do media, that I didn't agree with their values and beliefs. So, you know, is it better to have a premier that's going to hide and, and scour from the media or ignore media in their press conferences? Or is it better to let someone use freedom of the press, freedom of free sp- uh, freedom of speech and actually leverage us for an opportunity. The second thing is I think society, we're all in a little each other's houses a little too much. If you don't like him, you don't want to see him. Don't pay to see. Don't pay to have a ticket. The premier's there. You don't want to hear it. Cool. Like you do you. We'll still pay the price. Those of us who aren't going to attend Tucker Carlson, who aren't going to watch the show, are still going to pay the price when there's a blemish on Alberta's reputation because we're seen to have given him a platform or seemed to have promote promoted him in many cases maybe seem to have aligned with him that that is a detriment for all Albertans 
And, and I it's not like you can just look away and pretend it wasn't here and it doesn't happen. And see, and I, I think you're overplaying it. You're very much like catering to the opposition on that where really like I've seen the entire week on how this has played out. There's It wasn't more than a one day news cycle. It's not coming up as much just, you know, basically the political rhetoric of the opposition driving this narrative. Again, she did Jordan Peterson potentially deemed a contentious individual. There was no real fallout of what she said or any pushback um, besides someone standing up in the house needing to ask a question. Well, I think some of this is because she's been buoyed by uh, an AGM that was filled with members who represent the more socially conservative, more right-wing sect of the party. Um, buoyed by that, you know, she's, she's going to keep doing things that make that part of the party happy. But before we get to the UCP AGM, which uh, we've talked a little bit about, but we'll jump into more of the detail of because you were there, um, we have to thank our sponsor because none of this would be possible without our sponsors. And California Closets offers beautiful, functional designs for all of your organizational needs. They do closets. They do office spaces. They do Murphy beds and entertainment centers. My next door neighbors actually did their entire kitchen with California Closets. And it is incredible. Custom built storage that is exactly where you want it and what you want it for, shaped perfectly for pots, pans, dishes, appliances. Honestly, as someone who is constantly frustrated when I'm cooking, what more could you possibly ask for? For more information, log on to californiaclosets.ca. I'm back. I'm back. I'm ready. <laughs> Do you want to tell audio listeners, <laughs> podcast listeners, what you just did? Uh, I took off my. Uh headphones to put on a hat that reads more Alberta less Ottawa um, because that was actually the merchandise at the UCP AGM uh, I didn't get there in time to get my sweatshirt uh, because they were sold out so I'm rocking a um, hat today so what is the uh, you know the U.S. has mega and oh, we man. have no. Mallow. <laughs> well, you can try to make that a thing, Cheryl. Super I'll, catchy. I'll let, you, I'll let you go for that. <laughs> the no, mega think... of the of the North. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Erica. That says a lot about this past weekend. I can't hear you over my hats, but um, I assume you said something snarky. No, um, getting into the, the AGM... Um, I think a lot of people have seen the record turnout, 3,800 people, regardless of your political stripe. That's a pretty impressive um, gathering of, of people. Yes, lots of different policies came forward. Obviously, you know, where media is biting at the, the chomp is on some of the, the policies that came forward that are more socially conservative um, as uh, of nature. And I think we're going to play a clip of the premier, the leader of the UCP's address on Saturday afternoon. Uh, right now. We cannot have a successful province or a successful society without strong and nurturing families. And regardless of how often the extreme left undermines the role of parents, I want you to know that parental rights and choice in your child's education is and will continue to be a fundamental core principle of this party and this government, and we will never apologize for it. So that was uh, on the Premier's address on mentioning parental rights. Obviously, during her address, she covered a lot of things, lots of standing up to Ottawa, as my uh, sweet hat uh, references. Um, 
and and our energy sector, combating Trudeau, uh, focusing on the economy. Uh, but what I think we're going to dig into is why uh, some we're seeing more social potentially issues come forward. And I'll let you jump in after, but I want to just say, like, I've been thinking about this. Uh, I know we talked about this on the Ryan Jesperson uh, Real Talk show earlier this week. And I was trying to think of the why. Um, why are these issues coming up? And I believe it's a response. We talked about parental rights. Um, why is it an issue? Why would the conservatives uh, bring this forward? And it's actually in response to what's happening in our society. So what's happening in the classroom? What is happening with preferential treatment? Uh, things like that across the board. And, and why these social policies are coming forward is there's a lot of the wokeism that we've seen over the last several months and this huge pendulum swing that I think was bigger than anyone thought it was going to be. Um, we're all walking on eggshells now. We're all feeling like we don't know what's appropriate, what's politically correct. And these these emotions or, or resolutions that came forward, I think, are a part of addressing that. So is it because of who the membership is? No, I think it's society. And as a result, being the members of the UCP, bringing these resolutions forward to combat a lot of the, the stuff we're seeing um, in society. Well, like, I think it's very hard to say that this was not a room filled with social conservatives. This was not a room filled with the further right section of the UCP. And that honestly, a lot of moderate conservatives were not reflected in either the crowd or the resolutions passed or frankly, the board elections that happened over the of the weekend. Now, I'm not claiming to be a UCP insider. I wasn't at the convention over the weekend. But if you look at the resolutions passed, if you look at the moments that people cheered during the speech, this is not a moderate group. This is a group that has moved far further right than what was represented during the election. Is that fair? I don't know if it's fair. Um, I would say the two standing ovations, one being significantly larger was on parental rights. There was a, let's call it a mini standing ovation um, on healthcare reforms. I, I don't believe that that's necessarily maybe put in the box of, of the traditional version of a social conservative or what's more commonly looked at as a social conservative. For example, I don't think a lot of people would paint me with the brush of being, you know, a social conservative. I supported oh, the, the Twitter rights. comments are going to light know, up I for that. I know, I just gave, they just fed that in. Um, but really, where I, where I identify within the party is probably not on the social conservative side, or those are, and not to say that I, I don't, again, agree with some things or understand some things that are coming from that part of our party or respect those items that are coming from our party, but where my values and beliefs lie are, are not necessarily there. But I support parental rights. So does that make me a SOCON? I don't think so. I think it just means that like I'm really sick of, you know, people not respecting the rights of parents, not, you know, ha things happening in a classroom that where parents aren't told things. Um, so I don't think you can say that that's like painting me with a brush because of me supporting some of these policies. Okay, but I'm going to paint you with that brush because I <laughs> I am disgusted by this policy. Like, I just think it is, I think it's gross. I think it's leveraging a group of people who are already marginalized, who are already in danger, and using that leverage for political gain, for dog whistle politics, for crowds like you saw at the UCP AGM over the weekend. And I think it's not just politics. We're putting like real lives at risk by having these conversations, by implementing policies like this. And like, 
I just think it's gross. I, I do think it's, I, I don't think it's in the best interest of all Albertans. And I, I absolutely do think it's possible to protect parental rights and make sure that marginalized kids, that trans kids are safe at school and are safe at home. And I think it's false for the UCP not to say that. But they're not saying that. They're not saying that it's not about protecting a small majority that can't talk to their parents. It's about the large majority in which a government makes decisions based on. You make a decision. No, but you're taking that protection away. You're taking those rights away. But what about the rights in Saskatchewan? We've watched a judge has ruled that those those kids have rights, and by by passing policy like this, you're taking those rights away. But what are the rights of parents that brought the the children into the world? Yeah, and, and absolutely, it's a balance, but that's why policies exist. And that's why we have so much trust in teachers to have these careful conversations and navigate these really delicate situations with teachers, with the students themselves and with parents. But just coming out and saying, we are going to make sure that every child is reported on, that does put kids at risk. But, but point to me where, why we should put the onus on teachers what training do they have? What expertise? I mean, stats show a lot of teachers don't stay within the profession for more than 10 years. So you're talking, let's say, around like a eight, 28 year old. They might not be a parent. They might not have you know um, any type of experience in navigating things like this. They may not have been exposed to it. So why are we having the teachers make decisions for students and allowing to make a decision on behalf of a student without informing the parent like to me i get that there's a small percentage that this um that is concerned about something like this but i think there's a lot of parents if they knew or their kids had the the school tell they would have a very welcoming and honest conversation in their households and their parents would be supportive and love them so this is about protecting the majority and coming forward with what is i think a lot of people can say is that parents have the kids their kids best interest at heart and there is a very you know small again I don't want to overstretch of like how small or anything like that I don't want to depreciate those individuals that don't feel safe but I think that there's better ways to put into the system ways for those children to be able to navigate that than putting the onerous on teachers and keeping the parents in the dark and I'm hesitant to even dive into like the details of this policy because I think the policy itself is a complete wedge issue designed not to protect parental rights. It's it's not, even though essentially that's what it does, um, not intended to keep anybody safe. It's intended to whistle to those people, like those who were in attendance at the UCP AGM, and say, here's an issue you care a lot about that we can all rally behind. And that's the way that you get people to turn out in the numbers that you saw over the weekend is they need an issue that they care about. And for the UCP, especially the far right sect of the UCP, This is that issue. But the problem is that as you go down this road, you start to lose the moderate people. You start to lose the people who maybe were on the fence in Calgary during the last election, but voted UCP because that was where they were most comfortable. You start to lose the more urban voters who don't align with the social conservative uh, side of the UCP. And you start to see your numbers move. And that's exactly what we've seen in polling, the most recent polling that came out this morning um, from Lege which shows the UCP has lost support since the election and the NDP has actually gained support. And most of that gain has come from an increase in Calgary, where I think you could say a lot of the UCP's more moderate voters are sitting. 
Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there. I want to I want to talk about the polling and recognizing that you know the UCP has gone down um, a, a few points. In a first year of a mandate, it's not surprising. I want to make it clear to the viewers uh, that the poll we're talking about is Leger poll and that it is, you know, it, it is sampled before the the UCP uh, AGM. So I, I don't think it's fair to, to tie those two together and say that, you know, her, immediately after her speech, points were lost. Yeah, um, for sure. On the social issues, trust me, as a conservative... We hate talking about those wedge issues. They don't help us. They don't help move the narrative. We don't sit there twiddling our thumbs being like, what crazy wedge issue can we come up with? Like, that's going to be confrontational. And like, especially when you're government. Totally, totally don't believe you. No, it's true. I mean, we we don't want to talk about it because, again, like, those are things that can come up on the policy floor. Those are things that you can debate within your party. But those aren't necessarily the things we're like, you know what? Take it. Take that one home. Um, because... But where this whole policy started is because that is happening in classrooms and it is getting pushback from parents feeling like they are being kept in the dark from, well, you know, what's happening with them at school. And so we didn't pick this issue. We're solving an issue that was created by, by individuals and something that parents were upset about. We heard that loud and clear. And then it came through through a party motion. I don't know what the government is going to do with this, honestly. I don't know the process of if it's legislation, if they just talk about their values and beliefs, because they have done a lot to the Education Act on ensuring that parental choice and education and parental rights are are within that legislation. So I don't know what that means from what comes out of it. Um, but I do want to get back to to the poll because, um, you know, you could always sit there and be like, oh, the leader's down points or the, the the government's down points. In the first year of a mandate, that's actually quite, quite reasonable. Um, this is like in, in politics, we all know the four-year cycle. But for the listeners, you know, year one is a lot of tough decisions. Year one and two is where you're really cleaning house. You're trying to do a lot of changes uh, and reforms as where I know we're going to talk about AHS reforms. Um and so you're making a lot of the tough decisions and then you get kind of back into like, okay, now you have proof about what those decisions, uh, how those in- decisions impacted Albertans. And then you go into an election year. I mean, you guys brought in a carbon tax in your first go. Tough decision. Uh, no the, impact on polling it. numbers whatsoever. <laughs> well, I mean, that's one issue. But for a no, leader, or yeah, no, 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 that's fair. I was like, I don't know. I didn't check. <laughs> but um, one or two, two years are, are tough decisions. The other thing is, that Rachel Notley has kind of disappeared, right? And and there's after the election, I think there's a lot of apathy that you know the leader of the opposition, if they're not coming out guns a blazing, it might be like quite a bit of a relief. You're not hearing politics all the time, and so I'm not surprised that the NDP gain traction. Like sometimes people don't want to hear from politicians, and when you don't hear from Rachel Notley, maybe that's a good thing for her. That's what I took from that one. <laughs> Well, that is straight out of the UCP playbook for sure, because that was Danielle Smith's strategy during the campaign. Like it was the less she talks, the better her numbers will be. Um, that is certainly well, we won. not Rachel Notley's <laughs> strategy. You, you did win. Um, it's certainly not Rachel Notley's strategy. And I would say if you've um, been watching closely this week, and especially for those political nerds watching QP, those guns have been blazing this week. Um, and I think that ability to hold the government accountable and the ability to raise uh, really good questions about some of the decisions the government is making is well respected through the province and certainly respected in cities where you saw the NDP make major progress like Calgary. And so I think that is more likely why people are, 
you're seeing those opinions move is because one, the NDP is doing a great job of being an incredibly professionalized opposition. And two, Daniel Smith saying a bunch of stuff that they don't like. Based on the heckling that I hear during QP, I'm not sure if professionalism is the word I'd use. But um, anyways, I do think like there's going to be more polling. I, I can't wait till we dissect what happens kind of after the field of, of this AGM in the first few weeks of of session to see where, you know, the mark is being hit by the government or being missed um, with future polls. Uh, speaking of insightful resources on how to navigate <laughs> the Alberta landscape, uh, our sponsor, our next sponsor is the pocket lobbyist where they help you understand political risk as business risk and rid you you can rid yourself of the idea that lobbying is a bad word pocket lobbyist is the first of its kind subscription-based platform to help organizations anticipate interpret and mitigate political risk in Alberta. A woman-founded, self-funded startup created by a professional lobbyist, this platform has all of the tools you need to effectively lobby the government in Alberta. Pocket Lobbyist is offering our listeners two months free if you sign up before December 31st. Go to pocketlobbyist.com using the code DXPMONTHLY. Very well executed, Erica. Thank you. I had to multitask with the screens. It's a new challenge. (laughs) Can't say the same for the government this week as they announced a complete overhaul, another complete overhaul to Alberta's healthcare system. I think the word reform would be more appropriate. (laughs) But um, I mean, if anyone is surprised that this happened, you have not been paying attention to... Danielle Smith for the last year and a half. She talked about it before she was running for leader uh, about the healthcare crisis we're facing, about the need for reform, on how like the the you know the super board or AHS hasn't been working for Albertans. Um, all of these things. She campaigned on it in her leadership. She talked about it uh, and executed removing you know the AHS board in her first ninety days. Like the fact that people are at a oh my gosh this happened is is surprising to me even if you don't follow it like we do. So, you know, this week's announcement of appointing uh, a new board is step one, um, uh, or step two, I guess, because they're they're removing um, the official administrator, putting in a board in place, which is made up of several deputy ministers. Um, and, and I had to ask a few questions about that one, because that's not, that's not traditional. But you're seeing a few deputy ministers come over, and that is because of the cross-ministry uh, impact. Now, this board is not the permanent board, and I think that was some something that I had to read between the lines in the government announcement, I probably would have led with it of this is, you know, to address the critical needs that we're facing um, on emergency services, uh, on wait times, on, um, you know, a lot of the things like access to family doctors, working with them on a new new payment plan of like what that looks like so that we can ensure we're recruiting enough family doctors. That is what this board is focused on is some of those critical needs. And then they're also going to look alongside the Department of Alberta Health and Alberta's Health Services on how to move forward. So I guess you want to hear why I don't like it. Nope, I'm fine. To keep sounded- to- I'm fine to keep talking. <laughs> just kidding. Go and ahead. Just end it there. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think like I think we can all agree that change needs to come to Alberta Health Services. It needs to come to the way that people can access the system and it needs to come to the way um, the chaos that is currently existing in Alberta Health Services needs to be solved. We have long said the system is in crisis. Not, I don't mean we as in the NDP. I mean we as Albertans have long felt that the system is in crisis. And so, yes, the government needs to do something about it. But 
concentrating the power over healthcare decision making on the political side, in the premier's office, in the minister's office, is so incredibly dangerous. The premier is not a doctor. In fact, in another life, she recommended hydrochloroquine as a COVID cure. This is not a doctor. She should not be guiding healthcare decisions. And I think Albertans should be worried that that power, that oversight, does not sit with a medical professional. It sits with a politician. I think that's that could be a really dangerous situation. In addition to that, this is a huge lift. It's an incredibly expensive list, lift. It creates more chaos in an already chaotic system. And it does absolutely nothing for the biggest problem Albertans are facing right now, which is access to a family doctor. Like where, I know there's a line in there that says, we'll get you more doctors, but where are they coming from? How are we recruiting? How are we adding more frontline workers to the system? Because that, to me, is the biggest problem. And creating four new organizations, I don't see any solution to that issue. Okay, before I give my two cents on that response, um, one thing that I haven't seen is the opposition actually providing a solution, right? It's, it's, this is bad. This is horrible. We agree. I think the area where we agree is that the current healthcare crisis it needs to be addressed. And this isn't just Alberta specific, that's nationwide. So I don't think we're the only ones in this. Um, I appreciate that the UCP is taking bold and robust changes. If you think back to when AHS became a thing, Ed Stelmack was not getting praises left, right and center. There was a lot of pushback. There was a lot of angst about what was happening because that's what happens when you're making big change. And so um, I think that's what we're witnessing right now. And now everyone's like, well, why are we moving away from it? Like it's, it's people will never like change. Um, but to have impactful, meaningful policy and decisions come forward, you sometimes got to be real bold. And I think that's what this government's doing. Okay. But like, what have we seen so far that would make Albertans confident in the idea that this government has what it takes to completely overhaul? Like, and it is, you can say reformed, it is a complete overhaul of Alberta's healthcare system, given that their one effort to uh, reform um, one of the pieces of the healthcare system in lab services was a disaster that they've had to walk back. In the second case, we had the premier step in to take a uh, bold action to give families access to children's medication at a time of incredible shortage. Don't know where that shipment is. It hasn't cleared customs yet on the way from Turkey, but it wasn't a solution that had any follow through in terms of fixing the problems of the healthcare system. I think their record speaks for itself. And I, I, I think that makes Albertans worried that something on this scale that has this kind of implications where there wasn't even any um, consultation with Alberta doctors or frontline workers that's worrisome. Like at, at the very least, that's worrisome. So so you just said, I want to pick on something you just said, you or pick up on something you just said is like the consultation. If you look at what came out, there's 25 stakeholders that came up and supported it. You saw the news conference. Like, I mean, I'm, I just want to reference a list. But where because, were the doctors? Uh, there was, let's see, health cities. We've got Covenant Health. We've got um, okay. Yellowhead County. We've got You had director. the former conservative premier. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but he was the one that brought in AHS and now is talking about going to local authorities. Like that's kind of his legacy to stand up there and be like, no, it's not right for this time, I think is is a good good point. And his entire day, Alberta Cancer Foundation, Alberta Continuing Care. Um, what else do we got here? We've got, oh, the pharmacists or the paramedics were there. And, and AMA was there. We had Dr. Paul Parks, the president of AMA. So doctors were there. 
I think that this is one of the critical needs is they have talked about um, needing to work with family physicians to get them in. You still haven't answered my question about the solution that the NDP would bring forward. So I'm all happy well, to, to end there with your, you, you're, well, you're you solving all of our NDP health solution, problems. They, the NDP put forward a pretty thorough health care plan during the election that was aimed first at properly funding the system and making sure that we had the doctors that we need so that every single Albertan had access to a family doctor. Not just saying that, but rolling out a plan that would get us to the point where everyone could access a family doctor. In the plan that was rolled out yesterday, I see it as a talking point, but I saw nothing concrete that would lead to Albertans having a family doctor. And so I think the NDP has rolled out a plan. It's rolled out solutions, and this isn't even close. Well, you said um, um, properly fund. We are the highest funded like healthcare system in the country with the worst record. So what I hear is we're going to throw money at the, what we think is the problem is of actually looking at the root cause. And so we will probably agree to disagree uh, on this segment. And I'm sure we'll have lots of health talk for for time to come. But that the biggest thing is our healthcare system is in crisis. I think it needs significant transformation. And whether you know, you're standing here saying the transformation is from um, the NDP's approach of of more funding or the UCP approach, which is a pretty aggressive, robust, and bold approach, um, which we'll, we'll have to see how it rolls out. But I, I, I like where they're heading. We're getting away from AHS that was focused on hospitals and acute care and focusing on what I think we can both agree on is needed is um, patient-centric healthcare. You just, you just shock me by saying you think they're heading in a good direction. Breaking news, it's been one day. Erica supports the UCP's plan. <laughs> and Cheryl uh, wants to we... throw money at the healthcare problem. <laughs> Unfair comparison. But before we wrap up today, we just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who has listened, watched, and downloaded the first two episodes of The Discourse. We have had so much incredible feedback, so many comments, so many direct messages, um, both compliments and constructive criticism and show ideas. So we just want to encourage you to keep it coming. Yeah, I want to thank all the people that asked us to be a little punchier. Apparently, we were very polite to each other. So hopefully this this episode was a little bit spicier. But yes, we want to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments, or segment ideas, uh, please send them to us. We are on uh, social, so on Instagram and X. Uh, shoot us a DM uh, with anything you want us to cover or leave a comment. And then make sure you uh, subscribe to however you heard us today. That's it for our show. We'll see you guys next week. The Discourse is hosted by Cheryl Oates and Erica Baroudis. Follow on Instagram at The Discourse Pod. Subscribe to The Discourse on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.